Good morning, Fred Buzzards. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> How you doing, man? Uh, not too bad. You know, Sunday morning, early. All good. It's, it's raining. Good. Not very nice outside. Okay, so, so I have a bone to pick with you. Just, oh. just, for, just for the record, okay? Okay. So this game you you gave me two months ago that would that occupy that's one right there it occupies my time for the audiences who are watching that game is really cool however i had no idea wait is that a book uh it's the something it's the limited edition oh it's the but it's the game but it just looks like it's in a in a book format No, no no well yes but there there is a book this is crazy there is a book with all the art and everything that they worked on from the beginning. And there's a comic book. Oh yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. And the comic book is awesome. The first one's like actual, like, you know, pictures, but the second one is, is actual like old time 1970s story from like, yeah. Like more of like an Asimovian. Asimov, right. Yeah. yeah kind of thing. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, anyway, the bone I'm picking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> see, see, <laughs> I had no idea. Like, so for you know, it's one thing to play a game and really get into it, but when this game starts to dominate your thoughts to the point where you start reading about it online when you're not playing it, you know you have a problem, right? Right. So I'm on, you know, the forums, you know, looking at No Man's Sky, and I see this thing called No Man's Sky Archaeological Survey, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what in the hell is this? There is right, there is this university-trained archaeology team. Yep. I forget where they are that they're dedicating themselves to playing the game mm-hmm. to document and data, right? Mm. All of the alien artifacts in this procedurally generated universe. So so right, so I guess the bone I have it's true. is like, do I continue with this thing <laughs> and make it dominate for the next six months or a year or whatever? Right. You know? Because it just that that for me has just surpassed the level of geekdom that even I'm used to. You know, right? right. So thank you. Or yeah. or do or do I just do or do I do I call it quits and say like I I can't even compete with these guys because they're, you know what I mean? There is no quitting. And there he is. <laughs> let's, let's ask Joe since he's since he's just joining right, us. Right, 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 right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get an outsider's perspective. Who <laughs> said? It's a great game. It's a great game. Let's ask him. Can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. We got. So you have to settle a debate. Okay. okay. So No Man's Sky, right? Cool game. Very cool game. Been playing it for a while. Aaron and I had just realized we actually just researched this and found it. There, there is a research team, an archaeological research team, legit, you know, at a university, who have put together an archaeological survey of this game. In other words, they're playing this game. They're going out to all of the 18 quintillion planets and like digging and documenting and data mining, you know, all the stuff in this game. And I'm, and I said to Aaron, like, should I continue playing this thing? I mean, this is, this is like a whole new level that I can't even compete with. It's a research team. It's a research team. I forget what university it is, but this, yeah. And they have a, and they have a website. They have a website. I've, I've heard an interview with them as well. Oh my God! Man. <laughs> yeah, man. Like this is the deciding factor. Like, should I continue or just? I mean, I don't know what to do. <laughs> they've used this game for. They've used this game for. Um, for people who have issues mentally to calm them down. Oh, that's me. Yeah. Now I'm wonder it works. Yeah. It it actually has therapeutic qualities. It's, well, it's there is something meditative about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I love it. 
I think it's a great game. <laughs> I, I cannot pass any judgment without having played the game. I feel like that's not fair. I think it is. It sounds off the wall having not played the game to have actual intellectual effort put into a game, you know, from a university. Yeah, but you have no idea, Joe. Like, but I haven't played it. I'm you haven't, you I haven't have, played it. You, you haven't realized this, right? That you are going to play this thing. <laughs> I don't have time to play. No, no, no. It's only a matter of time before it will take you. Yep. <laughs> it will call the Atlas. Will call you. In That's your right. Sleep. That's right. Right. Like episode thirty-four, he'll be like, guys. <laughs> I was on this planet last night. And I right. warped his. <laughs> Great stuff. I still want to finish The Sopranos. I I haven't. Oh, listen! When you're watching episode in over a week, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it as soon as you finish the 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 finale, you know, and and the final scene. uh, We'll 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 dedicate an episode to the intellectual philosophical discussion of Tony Soprano's spiritual awakening. It's 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 very yeah, it's really cool. It's a very existential. David Chase, very existential kind of guy. It's uh, you know, it's a great show. I loved it. Watch it whenever I get a chance for stuff. Mm -hmm. Very cool topics abound, gents. <laughs> uh-huh. Speaking of, what's today? Today is um, <clears throat> the second of September. Oh, stop! I mean, topic. Oh, 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 oh. That. Oh, uh, world, world music, music. Why did I pick this topic? Why did I, or at least suggest it? I, I mean, I'm the wrong guy for this. I have social anxiety disorder. I rarely leave my house. You know, I'm like, what am I doing with this thing? Hey, you've got your your flamenco and <laughs> right. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I think we're all we're all really into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Is thankful yeah. back? I didn't. Check. Are you? No. It's 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 turned around. Oh. Yeah. I I sh- I do the switch. Oh, do you really? <laughs> I'm like the old Batman series where I like turn like I flip the dial on the telephone and like everything turns around in the room. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> World music. So uh, I guess forth. my first question would be, what is the definition of world music? Music of the world. Ah, Next. Done. Okay. It seems simple enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, so how, how, how have you guys um, incorporated, you know, more of like ethno musicality, I guess, into your own work? Is something you guys have studied? Did you, um, you know, I, I know many, you know, both talking to both of you in the past, it seemed like you have this kind of eclectic sense of, you know, other cultural you know perspectives of music and different things but like how much of it do you actually use uh in terms of your own playing style i mean for me as a having studied jazz i it all can it comes from um you know african music and latin american rhythmic uh elements and mixed with eastern european harmonies and i mean it's all kind of a conglomeration of musics from different places and the blues music from the from the workers at the time um so jazz really is it's the evolution of um ethnic musics um but also go ahead no i'll say interestingly it's the only american form that we have though true but it is clearly clearly sourced from elements from other other cultures we just we're the ones that kind of decided to add these ingredients into the pot and by we i mean players in new orleans kind of did it without really thinking about the greater picture they just started creating some cool music and you had new orleans was just such an interesting place because you had 
you had slaves at the time and you had those slaves brought with them their music and you had, you know, mixing of the wealthy um, white European descendants who with the slaves and a lot of their children received Europe, like classical musical educations. But at the same time, you had Congo Square in New Orleans where on Sundays, the slaves were allowed to play hand percussion and dance and really celebrate their African roots. Yeah. And it just made them, it was the perfect setting for a, all of that to blend. And that's, that's when Louis Armstrong came about and all the other guys from New Orleans. In my classes, we, we do this, um, this, this sec- section of literature. We talk about how, um, you know, sort of like after the Civil War, Mm-hmm. There was this migration that was starting to take place, not only just culturally, but but even musically too. Like uh, things were starting to be passed down uh, to generation and generations, and we we discuss how um, music was was kind of um, an identity for many people in the American South at the time, right? And this is what kind of goes back to something that you guys know I feel about about music being something other than entertainment value, right? Mm-hmm. What I love about a lot of uh, you know, ethnomusic studies, right? And just look at music of other cultures is if you really dig deep, you find out that music is kind of almost like a very spiritual thing for them. Right. Mm-hmm. right? And think about like early Americans, you know, and like how they use chant and how they use sort of rhythms that are there, you know, look in um, something that you know, I want to get to a little bit later today, if we have time is Indian classical music. If you guys have yes. studied that, right. You know, like you're just looking at Raga and, and the Tala and, and those things and how, how they're closely linked to their, their spiritual senses. So for me, like that, I, I love that period of musical history, uh, even in America, where it was still that. It was still deeply tied into uh, a way not just to express themselves, but a way to kind of exist. You know, and somewhere along the way, I don't know where, where it was, where maybe it's just in, in just the overall industrialization of music, commercialization of music. I think we've gotten away from that. Like now we're more about, or at least there's, there's a distance now, right? Where I don't think modern Americans listeners, I should say, maybe musicians, modern American listeners don't take into account that music is a, is a very kind of spiritual thing. Right. I'd agree with that. I mean, the intents of the writers are often not spiritual anymore. So you can't blame the listener for, not interpreting it that way. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was largely, I mean, the, it was very much based in religion, all the spirituals and even all the music that we have from the Gregorian chant was all the Catholic church. I mean, that there was other music, obviously we just didn't, don't have any way of knowing exactly what it was. Yeah. Right. Documented. Yeah. That, that's, that's an interesting point too. Like, I mean, I I remember, uh, you know, years ago, having a teacher of mine who was really into um, sort of text, like musical text. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I went to her office and I said to her, I said, Dr. Tacconi, I said, can you show me like what an old musical text looked like? And she pulled out from her archive and it was in glass. I'll never forget this because it was like it was parchment that was that was exposed to obviously the elements. It would start to be affected. But what you were seeing was like, it, it really looked like old. I'm sure you've seen it in some capacity This in Western art notation. They looked like little red squares that were like the note heads on a staff, but it didn't even look like a staff. It was somewhat kind of reminiscent of that. 
And it was so old that she was, she was saying me that, uh, telling me that it's like, we don't have anything going back further. <clears throat> you know, we don't know what it looked like. We don't know how it sounded. We have suspicions, but like, like say for instance, like Greek music, you know, and you look at, um, like all these awesome tunings, like, uh, Pythagorean tuning and right. Just intonation and all these kinds of things that we study, but we really don't know what they sound like until we replicate them or at least we try to replicate them. But all those texts are gone. You're referring so, back to like the, the classical Greek age. Yeah. 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 Greek Roman. Yeah. Yeah. They might, I mean, they were, they figured everything else out. I'm sure if they were building incredible, like the, what's it called? The, uh, Pantheon. Pantheons. Yeah. yeah if they could yeah, do the that, I'm sure they had some music. Well, yeah, but in the, so like, what's really cool though, like in, in the Greek age, if you were a student, okay. Um, there were, there was this, uh, four division class called the quadrivium, right? And it was like geometry, mathematics, uh, I can't remember the third one, but one of them was music, astronomy and music. So for them, it was like music was a, was a mathematical study. It was just like a sound based mathematics, right? So if we had all that notation, or at least we had a way, you know, at least record that, it's really sad. We don't, we can't go back in time, listen to that stuff, because we probably can learn a lot about um, how they treated music that way. But that's why it's so important to preserve what we what we have. I mean, we there's still musics around the world. I went to um, in Phoenix, Arizona last December. I went to the Musical Instrument Museum, and they had a display on every country in the world, and oh, wow. and their music. And you wear headphones and a little uh, wireless receiver on your hip, yeah. and you get to listen to the music and watch some videos, and you get to. They had instrument, actual instruments there, and like it was one of the greatest days of my life. I spent, I was there within 20, 30 minutes of it opening at nine o'clock in the morning, and they kicked me out at five. I was like, <laughs> You go home now. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you, you have to leave. Right. <laughs> but it's really, I mean, imagine going through Africa and finding music that nobody's heard in these, you know, tribes or, peoples that have been um you just haven't really come in contact with people who would have the means of recording it or right. care to yeah but then again i mean look even there was a movie about someone who went into i think it was what the appalachian mountains and was recording the the music the local music there and you know the movie had a lot of drama but the idea was to 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 make or preserve the music of the mountains to, to find out what it was and to show it to the people of the world. But a lot of this music is, is out there and we have to still yeah. a lot of uncovering to do. That's, that's, that's it. Right. We got to really, and that's, that's the whole point of, of this. I know the, you know, sort of the, the musicologists, their, their big job is to kind of <clears throat> link how music works with the culture. Right. And mm-hmm. kind of learn from that. But I think one of some of the things that I'm interested in now is like just the uncovering of stuff that I've never heard before. You know, all this kind of cool mm-hmm. thing uh, reminds me of like, um, okay, so you guys knew who Ginger Baker is, right? From mm-hmm. Cream. Yeah. Yeah. You guys ever see that documentary, Beware of Mr. Baker? No, no. Oh my God. You guys would love this film. And I think it won awards actually. Yeah. It's, it's called Beware of Mr. Baker. So this kid, this journalist um, got permission from Ginger and Ginger's probably like maybe in his sixties, maybe even older at the time. And he's living, I think in South Africa. Because you guys remember the cream story that he yeah. was 
Remember he went down, right? Isn't that where he went, Aaron? Went down yeah, to so. South Africa to study African rhythms and different things. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. so he's down, like living in this kind of like um, what they call it, like on this ranch or something. This um, sort of not even a state, but it's kind of really remote. And uh, he gets permission to go down and like live with him for a while and just kind of document and interview the guy. And so Ginger tells these stories. Well, one story that I love is Ginger says when he was. Um, before cream, when he was like really starting to develop as a player and, and playing in some um, in some local venues and jobs, right? He met this jazz drummer by the name of Phil Seaman, right? Mm-hmm. Famous jazz drummer. Okay, right. uh, at the time, uh, Ginger later found out that Phil was a heroin addict, and this is like so his first and kind of his first brush with drugs and that kind of thing. So anyway, Phil invites Ginger down to his basement, right? And to go down into the basement, and like Ginger is like really green at the time and Phil takes him down there and, and Phil's got this massive record collection. Okay. Of like all African rhythms and African records and different things like that. And Ginger never heard of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. So Phil decides to shoot up and he says, Alfred's Ginger, some Ginger at the time had said, nah, I'm not into that. Right. And he puts on this record of African sounds and Ginger explains it basically of like he was transported to somewhere else. Right. And he said that was really instrumental in kind of opening his mind to, wow, like there are other rhythms out there. And if you listen to, uh, which was White Room, right? Is the White Room, it's in 5-4 in the very beginning, right? Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, right, that thing. That was Ginger. He he decided to, you know, when Jack and and uh, Eric, you know, were writing the stuff, writing, writing the pieces, uh, Ginger wanted to infuse... Uh, some of that African feel, African flavor. So he wrote it in five. And then he makes this joke story. He says, I never made any money off that record because I, that was an arrangement and arrangers don't make anything. It's the the lyricists and the, and the songwriters that make all, all the cash. But yeah, that, that iconic 5-4 intro, uh, he says, was really a parallel to Phil Seaman introducing him to African rhythmic works. And then, of course, you know what happened with him, right? He After Cream, he did all these projects where, yeah, he went down into South Africa and studied for a time, you know, mm-hmm. so really cool stuff. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Watch that documentary. I think you guys would dig it. Have you ever heard of Two Bob Crew? No. There, I saw them in DC. They have um, they all went and studied in Africa, and they play like they're like a jam band playing over African rhythms with African instruments. It's fascinating. Um, I saw them at the Hamilton, which is a pretty classy venue in DC, and. It was it was a pretty mind boggling thing to see. It's really entertaining. Hmm. Interesting. Definitely. I mean, anytime I see anything like that, it definitely inspires me to think. I, you know, it it inspires creativity. You know, if you listen to what's on the radio, it's kind of the same stuff in a different order. You know, different. It's it's hard to get inspired by what you hear on the radio, and then to actually create something that sounds fresh. But, you know, you listen to African rhythms or Indian ragas for 20 minutes and it's like, <laughs> oh, I know, I know, right? The world's opened up. And, and the parallels, I mean, you know, between, you know, if, you, if there, there are definitely musical commonalities in almost every theory or theoretical system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like when you talk about the raga, you know, for those that don't know what that is, right? In Indian classical music, the raga is, is the melodic aspect but it's less, it's actually like improvisation, right? So you, I think they just, they take a series of notes, 
mm-hmm. and it's really flexible in how they improvise over those notes and 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 they just and and they cycle through them you know in much the same ways that you would we would take phrases in jazz and, and cycle through them that way you know and what's interesting too is if you go to like an indian classical show i don't know if you guys have ever had an opportunity to see this right people in the audience are aware of the theoretical stuff like with with tala which is the rhythmic meters right in indian classical music a lot of it is these really open open sort of metrical systems some can be in 11 Right. You know, and you see people in the audience clapping their hands, you know, because that's part of, of the system, you know, and the audience participation. That'll be akin to like, you know, going to a prog show and have everybody counting like, you know, 11, eight, right. you know, which would be great. We, we should do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the Raga in, in their Sanskrit language, it actually means color. Correct. Um, yes. So. It's it's really interesting. I have a book on it, um, and I was in India for my honeymoon actually um, last April or a year and a half ago, and um, they have different ragas for different times of days of the day because it really is rooted in their spiritual beliefs. And so, you know, a morning raga is going to sound what, marwa. So that that's called the morning raga or something like that. There's a lot. I mean, I've got a whole book packed full of them, but. Yeah, so there's a different feel and a different reason for playing the music depending on the time of day. And, you know, some of them are like Raga Yaman has is essentially like the our Lydian scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but along with the scale notes, there also are rules. It's really interesting. Like you can't go. So if it's in C, you know, the notes are C, D, E, F sharp, G, A, B, C. Right. But you cannot go from B to C. So they have a rule where you can't move up the scale from B to C. So what you do is you go B, D, C. Like, I can't sing it, but you have to jump over it and move down. And it's all these rules that end up creating the kind of um, the sound of that raga. Yeah. But it, it's amazing. I mean, they'll spend, you know, they'll work each note really really hard and each note has a certain um a certain sound to it against the the drones and it's like the c's the root is very stable whereas the d might be mysterious or something in the that f sharp's a very like unsettled note but they'll work that note and they'll stay kind of in that area for a while and work the notes around it and keep coming back to that note it's really fascinating to see how that they go through the whole scale is the sitar the, would you say it was like sort of like the, the anchor instrument within that musical system? I mean, it's, it it's the melod- it's like lead guitar. Okay. That or the sarod. Okay. But you, I mean, without the tabla playing the rhythm and without the, whatever the, what are the ones that play? They've got like just a couple strings, but they're playing those drone notes, the root and the fifth usually. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are very important. But uh, yeah, the sitars, it's such a cool instrument. I have one right behind my computer. I know. We want we want to see it. Yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you the sitar. <laughs> I want to hear you play it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you do it? I Can you play it now or not? need to tune it. I've been I've been out of town. So hold on. I know my room's a mess. I'm sorry. But oh, can you see it? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, we can see it. Well, I yeah. think for like for an audio version of this, I think we need to hear just just, just give us a little. Oh yeah, I can play it. I can just pluck it for a second. Here, this is so cool. Man. There yeah. it is. 
Yeah. Yeah. And underneath you've got the they're out of tune really bad. Um Yeah, I got that. So I was in um Udaipur, which is southwestern Rajasthan, which is the state kind of to the west of Delhi. And so anyway, we were we were down there and I met this guy who owns a little music shop. His name was Krishna. And um we were going somewhere and I was like I'd love to see inside and take a sitar lesson. And so we agreed. I don't know if I paid like 20 bucks for an hour, gave him half the money ahead of time and showed up and he taught me how to play the sitar for a while. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, it's just such a weird feeling instrument. It's kind of like a guitar. I mean, it's a stringed instrument, Yeah. but the, the way that the frets stick up, it's really odd um, feeling, but then I ended up buying a sitar and then I, by the time we wrapped it up in bubble wrap into a soft case, into the hard case, it was huge. I mean, like it <laughs> it's was like you're smuggling a body out of India. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm, I like lugged this thing around India it, at one point, like it took up a whole seat in the car and we took a train, a 17 hour train ride at one point from the border of Pakistan back to Delhi and it wouldn't fit under anything. And so I had to sleep with it on a triple tier bunk. I mean, oh, right, right, like right. Snuggling my sitar. But I got that thing home and the airline cracked it. And I had to have a luthier. Oh, yeah. The oh, gourd, okay. yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes I'll sit down with with that and I'll just pull up an Indian backing track and jam. You can get like Indian backing track and C and <laughs> just rock right. out for a while. Yeah, that's really crazy. Fun. That's cool. You should go do a show. Come on. You know you want to. Right. Just do, just do one show. Do like a sitar hour. I you need know? to. I've gotten, I've been bad. I just haven't had time to dedicate to We're getting a performance ready. Joe McMurray's ragas. <laughs> but I would love to use it in a track. So yeah. um, have you heard, so Derek Trucks, who is very sure. inspiring to me, he's just, so lyrical in his slide playing. He actually was very influenced by Ali Akbar Khan, who's a Indian Sarod player. Okay. And he actually, when, when he was in his teens, Derek trucks got really interested in Indian classical music. And, but, but he had all these connections. His family was all connected with the Almond brothers and Southern rock, but he really got into this Indian music and went to, um, a seminar and studied with Ali Akbar Khan. And I don't know how extensively, but Derek trucks is you hear it. If you didn't know you, you would wonder why Derek doesn't sound like any of the other slide players. But then when you hear him, he'll talk about it freely in interviews. It's really obvious when you hear it, he's, he, he has all these Indian inflections in his playing, even though it's very blues, like based in blues and gospel music. And southern rock at the same time but in specifically i think it's these walls it's one of the tedeschi trucks tracks on i think revelator album it opens with him playing the sarod oh wow like okay. it's it actually opens with uh the indian instruments and then he more it like morphs into him playing slide guitar and then okay. susan tedeschi comes and singing but i mean that to me is one of the most wonderful blends of you know you've got all these these 
folks in the United States and elsewhere listening to Southern rock music and they're, they're being introduced to this, um, this Indian music. And I think it's just, it's a beautiful example of how you can use world music in your music now. Yeah, so that, yeah. that track was These Walls by the Tadeshi Trucks band. One of the things I think, Aaron, what was the question you asked us early? You said about how we define it, how we define world music. Is that, was yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that this is against the heart of is, you know, how do we accept music from other countries? Because I think the 60s was more accepting of this kind of thing. I mean, even yeah. Aaron used to talk about this when we were back in the state college days. He used to say how, like, who's the guy from the doors these days? Krieger? Yeah, Robbie Krieger? Robbie, yeah. Would do a lot of these kind of Indian inflections in his guitar work, you know? Um, and it just seems like now, like when we think world music, we think of, you know, these cultures are separated from us. But you're right. Musicians, we're borrowing all the time. We're, we're pulling in stuff all the time, you know? Um, I sent you guys over the week, you sent me that, um, that Al Di Miola uh, mm-hmm. disc, World Symphonia. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get a chance to to check that one out. Mm-hmm. You know, tracks in. It's I interesting, you know, okay, well, you I know, not yet. it's interesting that he calls it like world symphony, you know, it's kind of the idea, like he's blending, but really if you listen to it, it's very Latin based. Right. There's, there's a lot, you know what I'm saying? There's like a lot of Latin feels and rhythm and that's great, you know, but I think it'd be interesting to see a player um, kind of pull from tendrils and just like, different angles different countries have you know ha- have some pakistani flavors in there you know have some um you know asian based pentatonic stuff only flavors kind of pulled mm-hmm. in have some african based rhythmic placements um i'm looking for that i'm looking for for players who can really you know uh, have a diverse palette yeah that's hard it's oh really my hard. god yeah yeah each one is a lifetime's worth of study it's yeah. exactly right it's exactly right it would be awesome. And somebody will do it. Yeah. Yeah. And to not only be able to do it, but do it well, mm-hmm. you know, make them blend. So they aren't, aren't, um, pulling from each other or trampling on each other to, to actually take all those backgrounds and kind of blend them. So they are, they work well together. That's, that would be very interesting. It, I found it's, it's really difficult to find information like teaching material um regarding these certain certain types of world music i've had i've not found the perfect lesson book for indian classical music and you know a lot of a lot of the good material is in i think their local languages yeah yeah. sanskrit and there's some things in english but it's it's hard to get really good instruction um and i've had the same thing with you know, I don't have a local flamenco teacher around here, but I got really interested in it. I got a book and I was, you know, using some YouTubing and whatever I could find. And I've not found the right thing. Like, I feel like I need to go to Granada in Southern you Spain do. and just, you just do. spend 12 weeks and yes. really get yeah. that well, foundation. When I was there, right, that was exactly what happened. Like, I went into a music store in Granada mm-hmm. and I remember talking to some of the local guys who were there and I said, Hey, like I, this is like maybe like day six of the trip or something. And I had just seen this guy I was telling you guys about a few weeks ago, just blew my mind wide open and like, Oh yeah, well you got to listen to Paco. You got to get into Paco Delucia. Right. So, so, and they said, well, strangely enough, Paco wrote a book 
So I picked the book up and I read it. And it's almost like there wasn't so much a language barrier thing. There was a knowledge barrier. Like I, I quickly realized that I would not get it from reading a text in another musical language. I'd have to literally get in the street with the guys and learn the rhythms and the feels. That's the only way to do it. It's like, it's like learning any language or another. You, you got to completely immerse into it. Like if we want to learn African rhythms, I'm not going to go and buy a book on hand drumming. You know, right. we're going to get into a drum circle somewhere in Africa and sit down and drum with those guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the only way to really do it. And then, and then it sticks better. And then, because the, I mean, for me, the ultimate thing is, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's one thing to learn it academically and to just know it, but it's another thing to assimilate it into your playing style. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to like to, you know, be into some kind of a rock groove or whatever the case is and pull out a different rhythm or something or a melodic idea that, you know, people aren't used to because I've learned it. I've assimilated it. Mm-hmm. Fortunately in DC, you can go to Malcolm X park. Um, it's right downtown DC. There's an awesome drum circle every Sunday. I used to go to that and they're actual, I think they're from Africa. There are folks there who know what they're doing. And that's how I learned how to play djembe. That was a cool too. So I, th- yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they have those kinds of drum circles elsewhere too, but if you're anywhere around DC, it's worth going to Malcolm X park on Sunday afternoons. And sometimes there's like up to a hundred people. There's people with, there's a like somebody with a full drum kit there's congas djembes whistles <laughs> awesome weird little noisemakers and people dancing around and it's a phenomenal experience Aaron, did you tell me you did a drum circle once that you told me that you did that um they had small ones down in front of old main sometimes um i know i don't know that i ever brought a drum i definitely sat there and listened to the rhythms but i i never participated should have but i never brought a drum or anything now actually for um for drumming i i use a book um i think it's called dancing hands where is it there, i've actually had pretty good success with this one book that I'll, I'll have to find it right after the episode and link it but there's some pretty good text this guy takes um, the rhythms and he puts for like a bass tone on the djembe. He has like a little uh, asterisk. And for open tones, which is when you hit the edge with the tips of your fingers, yeah. um, he has a open circle. And for a slap, where you kind of aim to hit in the center of your palm so your fingers really pop the head of the drum, he has a triangle. And he has it written out in like one and two and or in, in 16th notes and it's pretty it's a pretty good series of books he's got. The one that's he's got one that's on African rhythms in particular, and he's got one that's on like I think it's called Hip Grooves for Hand Drums. And uh, it's got like you know, he's got like a he he makes it more usable with a like a rock band or something. He's got like some funk grooves and does a lot with the clave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's cool. That's a cool resource if you're actually interested in doing that without having to travel to Africa or Malcolm X park in DC. <laughs> well, the other part too, I think is, is fascinating is that I think from a compositional standpoint to have that arsenal, you know, could, I mean, just imagine having like all these different, not so much even just the, the, the idioms down, but the ability to play instruments just like, yeah, I, I have a, have a djembe sitting over there. I'm going to write something in it. 
Right. You know, I mean, that that's always been for me like a a, a want and a desire to. Like I, I really respect these multi instrumentalists, and I should know better. I mean, like that's not hard to do, right? Everybody looks at it and say, "Well, you're a multi instrumentalist." Well, yeah, it's just because you experiment with them, you know, and you study. We could all do that. We all, I think, we all do do that to some degree. We we learn yeah. new instruments, right? You know, yeah. but just to have that access, the accessibility to uh, really interesting things, like 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 a spike fiddle. Holy shit! I want to get one of those things and learn to play it. What is that? Um, they are, I think. Burmese, possibly. Um, but you've seen them before. It's basically just like it looks like a stick. It has like four or five tuning pegs at the top, mm-hmm. and the and the and the spike gets into the floor, and you just use uh, a bow. And yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. Like those things. Like I want one of those. That is awesome. And and just write something on it, mm-hmm. you know, and record it. Yeah, when you don't know, when you're not used, when you can figure out the notes on an instrument on a different instrument you're not used to. And you don't have any of your normal habits and go-to licks and riffs available to you. It's it's really amazing what it can do. You know, you things come out that you wouldn't have created on the guitar if guitar is your main instrument. Yeah, yeah. Or just to get away from a stringed instrument, because I know, mm-hmm. and this is I don't know how you guys are with this, but like every time I try something different, like let's say a banjo or or any kind of, or even if I just pick up a violin. Mm-hmm. And try to play something. I, I I don't play it the way it's intended. I play it like a guitar player would right. play the, play that instrument, right? And I feel like I do a disservice to that instrument because I'm I'm approaching it from my own the only way I know how to do it as as like my guitar fingerings are there. So I, it's I think it's even fascinating to get away from strings, just get into something mm-hmm. that anything that's tonal that is produced through a different kind of thing other than a chordophone. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. Brass, especially if you're a string player do something like a woodwind or a, a brass instrument that's completely out of your realm i can't do those i don't have the embouchure for that you ever try have you guys ever done anything like with woodwinds or reeds or joe plays yeah i have a saxophone yeah i can't do it <laughs> i was actually learning to play saxophone when i was working with aaron yeah i it's it's amazing it it hurts so bad to play for more than about 15 minutes because i don't play enough yeah. but like you say, if I'm going to play blues on the saxophone, it's you just have to play really melodically and like really work the chord tones over the blues. And it's it's good for me. And then I go back to the guitar and I it's it's a new way to think about it. Yeah. And, so. and, and you're thinking more because those instruments can't do chords. You're thinking more melodically. You're thinking about how the notes can run together. And, you know, with guitar we don't really think about that all that much the the melodic line because with guitar you can do a an octave very easily or mm-hmm. you know any interval very easily uh on a brass on a brass <laughs> yeah it, it, it doesn't work like that <laughs> yeah i wonder if they i wonder if other uh players really dislike us because <laughs> the fact that we could like do almost anything on the guitar, you know. <laughs> I'm sure that's part of where guitar players get a little, and not to mention people look at guitarists as lazy. Um, so there's a lot, I'm sure, that goes into it. But yeah, I, I think there's some truth to that. I do, I do. Like I have to work so hard to produce this tone, and here's this guy just like does it, you know. Mm-hmm. And if he can't do it on his instrument, he does it through a pedal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they have so many advantages. I mean, a saxophone playing a solo can play like so few notes and be so expressive with each note. I mean, I know that there's 
lots that you can do to make your guitar tone better and the quality of your vibrato and all that. But I mean, a saxophone is so rich. I mean, in any brass or woodwind is so rich and you can so much control over your, your vibrato. It's doesn't even seem fair. It's just thick, you know, with a guitar. Yes. You can put on pedals that give it, you know, the chorus effect or something to beef it up, but it just sounds thin compared to a woodwind to me. Oh yeah. It's just the design of that instrument, you know, it lends itself I mean, to just this, these beautiful colors. And, and not to mention, like you said, like you're controlling your vibrato through your wind, you mm-hmm. know, just through your breath, you know, which is something that you know, I, I've, I've, I look, I don't know how you guys evaluate other guitar players. Um, but one of the things I always look at when I look at guitarists is how is their vibrato? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think for me, that's kind of like the, their articulation factor, you know, are they able to really control vibrato very slowly? Is it erratic? Like when BB King, like we, we used to teach this a lot of time in the studio when he would do this vibrato it was like, this really, it's like kind of like really kind of shaky erratic thing, but it was signature. It worked for him. Um, I always went with this kind of circular vibrato that I used to, I still use to, to some degree, but all that aside, you know, you get woodwinds and you get brass guys, they can, they can really manipulate their vibrato more than we can, I think, because of the fact they control it through breath. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. They're using their, you use your voice on a daily basis. Um, you breathe every single day. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, Wait, but, I can do that. <laughs> but I mean, they have that experience and that expression through voice uh, and they just kind of translate it over to their instrument. Uh, it's so, yeah, there's a lot of control in, in, a, in an instrument like that. Whereas with guitar, it's all through your fingers. That's, that's a much harder lesson to learn, if not years or decades to kind of learn that. And with the voice, because you have limited breath, the, I mean, you hear this over and over again, the phrasing aspect, and it's what you were saying. You were more referring to the ability to jump different larger intervals, but mm-hmm. you know, you hear it over and over again, but you're told to try to phrase like a saxophone player or a vocalist because they have a limited supply of air and they, they play a phrase and they have to take a breath and, you know, guitar, we don't have to do that. We can play continuous stream of notes for five straight minutes if we wanted. And it might be impressive technically, but it is not musical. I heard once that Kenny G, I'm not sure how true this is, has a technique called circular breathing. Have you guys ever heard of this? Oh, like the, um, is that a, is that a true thing or is that which is more? What's of a, the instrument? The uh, uh, didgeridoo. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know anything about that. What, what is what is the circular breathing idea? Um, it's this. Uh, have you ever seen a didgeridoo player? Yes. Okay, it's the same concept. Same concept. So they like as they're blowing out, they're also breathing in at the same time. It's the circular kind of thing. It's it's. It's interesting. It's not easy to do. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think uh, biologically you can even do that. Oh yeah, doesn't it have something to do with like getting some extra air into your mouth that you're then pushing while you're? I don't know. I've tried it unsuccessfully, so I'm not the person to. Yeah, I know. Advice on uh, that. There was a guy at work that could do it. Um, but I've I've never been able to do it. It's an interesting thing to see. Uh, I'm sure, just like anything else, if you worked at it, you could you could absolutely learn it. Um, but yeah, I don't doubt that, that, that was something that 
Kenny G could have done. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe he, so maybe that's, that could be a technique that he probably borrowed then what you're saying from these well, other cultures, old. right? Yeah. 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 Originals. Yeah. yeah, yeah and brought over to the saxophone. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I know for me, for, um, for world music, I've never, um, gotten too much into world music. Um, as it comes to, you guys are talking about the ragas and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've never really gotten into that. My, my, introduction into world music was obviously from a young age the beatles uh george harrison um and ravi shankar yep um and going through all that and then i think an influent uh influential album for me when i was young was graceland from paul simon Paul simon oh yeah i used to listen to that album constantly uh, and to be able to hear all those different things that were happening uh, that was very influential that's the kind of stuff that through albums and through listening through uh, all the different kinds of artists, whether it was, like I said, even going to, um, I mean, I remember seeing Tito Puente when I was a young kid. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing uh, just all kinds of different, different ways of kind of expressing music. Uh, my mother would take me to all kinds of concerts where I, I was ex exposed to world music. Um, and I enjoyed it all. It's kind of where I get my background from today. I mean, most people look at me and they think, oh, he's a metalhead or whatever like that. Um, and yeah, at one time in my life I was. Um, but I, I, I thrive on this kind of, you know, no matter what it is, I like to listen to it. I especially like jazz a lot. And, um I like world music a lot. It's just kind of very enjoyable to listen to, to be able to hear all the different rhythms that are going on that you wouldn't necessarily hear. I know I dog on the radio a lot, um, and that's one of the main reasons why I think you were talking before, Joe, about how you just can't find that stuff. The, the musical soul um, is, for me, gone from popular music. Um, it's... It, you can find it if you really look for it, but it's not like it used to be. Um, you used to be able to turn on the radio and at least hear a lot of those qualities within the music um, because it was about the music. Uh, it wasn't so much about image, which is a lot of what goes on today. Um, I really enjoy that process of listening to whoever it is, whether it's you know, Herbie Hancock, or it doesn't matter who it is, just kind of sitting there and listening to what's actually going on within the music, not having any pictures, or if it is, it's the album cover in front of you and kind of listening right. to some stuff. Right, right. Uh, that's that for me, that's how world world music really played a, a big part in my life. Do you find yourself though, like, okay, so like, for instance, when, when you're talking about this, I think of how I got into it, like you did, Peter Gabriel for me oh was, was the way in to world music, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, right. So when I first listened to, well, so was for was the commercially big album for him, right? Yes. But yeah. what was the one before that where he was really exploring with different African rhythms and things? I forget the title of it, but um, I was listening to those records. I'm like, wow, like that. That was my gateway into world music. And then there was a film that came out called the last temptation of Christ that Martin Scorsese did. And Peter Gabriel did the score. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like a lot of really interesting, uh, culturally expansive rhythms that are on that, on that soundtrack that were there. So at the time I was like getting the Peter Gabriel thing, but I found myself like 
putting some of that stuff into my guitar work. So, I mean, were, were you doing the same thing? Like when you were listening to um, these exposed, or these albums and you're exposed to, did you find your guitar playing was, was, was changing? We're oh. trying, trying new things. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there were. I'm, I'm, I was hearing this stuff all the time, you know, like I said, with Graceland, I mean, that, that, album was on constantly for me so it would be hard for me to say that i wasn't influenced by it somehow and it was i wasn't incorporating those things into my playing i mean i had to have been had to have been were you conscious of it though like right like were you trying to do things like saying well you know what instead of doing this kind of pick stroke here i'm going to try to do this thing because it it feels more of a rhythm i just heard that mm. Paul Simon did, or was it just yeah, more kind of like automatic. I, yeah, I think it was more automatic and maybe trying to emulate some of the things he was doing rather than consciously thinking about a style or a technique or something like that. It's hard. You have to make a conscious effort. I'm I wish I did it more. I wish I had more time to do that, but like actually sitting down and trying to play along with a song from you know, say it's Ravi Shankar. It's really helpful to do, but it's you got to actually sit down and do it to start to, for me to be able to really capture the sounds and figure out what it is and purposefully stick it in other places. Right. There's a cool exercise for for, for audiences if you want to try this. Um, and this is not such a world music idea, but it will achieve the same effect. Um, guitar players we're known for, unless you guys want to argue here with, with me, that we're known for playing a lot of stuff. <laughs> like a lot, a lot of notes, you know, and, and, and in some senses overplaying and overthinking, it's really hard to be minimal and to create space. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times in world music, they do that very well. They, they know how to minimize the amount of raw material you're putting into a measure and let it, things breathe. Mm -hmm. So when I was in jazz studies, like this was really hard for me to do, but there was an album, actually a track that, that helped me for this really well. John Schofield's A Go-Go for me was it and what i would do is i'd literally put that track on and i would just jam over it and i would try to not just much copy schofield but i try to almost like play like in the dead space where schofield was breathing you know breathing in, in a sense of like you know um, note placements and things and that was a really interesting experience because that taught me like how to how to pull back so you, you know? played when he wasn't playing were you well, not were you not playing while he was playing? So no, I played. I played the head. I played the melody with him. Right. Okay. Um, you know, if you, and it, it's a really simple. I mean, like harmonically speaking, it's two chords, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's just like almost like even an ostinato would be. Um, but yeah, I play the head with him, and then what I would do is like in the dead space when he was because if you ever listen to Sco play, that's how he is. Yeah. Like he plays a, he play, he's like, he like sprinkles, <laughs> you know, and like, so when he wasn't doing his thing, I'd play in the spaces somehow and with, with very small things. I would just try to like accent or maybe play, play behind the beat a little bit or play off the beat a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun, you know, because it's just, I came out of that track going, yeah, okay. So I can, I can navigate through time, musical time with very little melodic material. And, and that I think, when I would listen to other complex pieces, I'd be like, okay, that's too much now. You know, I, I need to, there's gotta be more, more breathing room. And you guys talk a lot about in the soul and how your, your, your spirit comes through and, you know, musically speaking. Um, I think that's a good, good exercise to try is, is play along with this track and, and try to play in the dead spaces. And that's a, yeah, that's a great, and it's a great track too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good track.
Yeah. Schofield's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my he, god. Man. He just he was just playing with Medesky Martin Wood. I really wanted to go see that. Oh uh, good, yeah. great player. That would have been a great show. <laughs> yeah. Probably one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Yeah. Is is Schofield. Just a tasteful. Right? You could do yeah. a lot with a, with very little. And the guy's got chops. No question about it, but he doesn't show them. Yeah, you know, he just he just he just like just opens opens the aperture a little bit to let some light through, and it's like, oh, that phrase is so cool. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah, there's just the things he does that surprises all the time, and, and I, I feel like that a lot with world music too. I think when I listen to world music, I, I listen to things I never heard for the first time. I'm like, huh, that was an interesting phrase line. Can I borrow that? Right, a little, a little bit. You know, when uh, you hear the record uh, Friday Night in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, that record. Yeah. So, so yeah. Aaron, and I used to listen to this all the time. Remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I still show students it. I absolutely do. The three of them just yeah going at it, and you're, you're just like, oh man. I mean, it's the three of the best. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So audiences, right? Right. Or uh, listen to this 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 album too. It's uh, fr- I got the title right, Aaron. Friday night in San Francisco. That's right. Friday night in San Francisco. It's on YouTube. You, you can watch it. Yeah. It's Paco DeLucia, uh, John McLaughlin, and Aldi oh. Miola. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the reason I bring this up is I want to, there was a, there was an interesting story here that Paco said when he played with those guys, he had a really difficult time playing with John and Al. And if you listen to that record, I mean, he doesn't sound like he had a hard time at all. I mean, Paco is just a monster, right? Uh, On this album, but he had a hard time harmonically with those guys because he had said that, you know, even though he had the technical prowess to do, all the rascados and all that kind of stuff that, that to keep up with those guys speed wise, he felt that in Western music, you know, like from Western art music, uh, what John McLaughlin had harmonically, he, he really had to study. He didn't really, just jazz itself was, was, was a, was a huge mountain for him to climb over. And I, and I always, I kind of feel that way a lot. It goes with world music. I think that we, we tend to, we go into other, cultural backgrounds, musically speaking, um, I have to kind of get away from the harmonic stuff because I try, I try to like fit it in with what I know harmonically and it doesn't really translate the right way. I'm not sure why that is. You know, it's almost like it's not that it's simpler in its design, but if I try to force, you know, like a seventh chord into something that's a, 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 a different in a different musical system, it just doesn't work. No. Right. I know what you I know what you're talking about. Yes. Right? Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like the rag is being it's just a root and a fifth. It's your harmony. Yeah, and yeah, and you gotta sit with that and, and all right, and that's and that's that's it. That's that's the structure and, and 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 kind of respect that for what it is and work within that system, you know. I think I think with Western music, um, especially as of late, um anything goes. And I think that's just this kind of practiced thing where it doesn't matter what it is go for it whereas i believe this is just my opinion that a lot of the traditional musics that are out there are still that just that traditional and they follow those rules where we just kind of have this kind of attitude of effort i'm just going for whatever and i'm going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see if it sticks um yeah, whether that's good. I mean, that's it is good because you obviously come out with new, interesting ideas. Um, but it also makes it really hard to try to compose something. 
like you were saying, sometimes things just don't feel right. And there's a reason for that because there are traditional rules that have been there for centuries. So it's helpful for me to look at, there have been collaborations like specifically like the collaborations between American jazz musicians and like Brazilian bossa players and mm. like that kind of, you know, Dizzy Gillespie interacting with the Latin music and Stan Getz playing with, with the Brazilian guys, you know, uh, was it uh, girl from Ipanema, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is a helpful gateway to that type of music. I mean, I can, I'll go out and perform and I'll, you know, I'll throw in Latin tunes, but they're jazz Latin tunes. They're not like Cuban traditional Montuno kind of tunes, but it is helpful to have some tunes that you've, people have already experimented with and to go ahead and use that as a gateway to get, get to playing faster. You can pick up a real book and you've got the harmony to black Orpheus and it's just having like an sing that a minor seven. And then you've got a B half diminished to an E seven flat nine back to the a minor, just like vamping over that and having that like, Oh, here's some harmony that gives you this sound. And now I can explore the sounds of, you know, this Latin sound. It's really helpful for me to have that gateway introduction. That's why I love Chick Corea, man. Like oh, yeah. that, that was Chick Corea for, was, was that for me, you know, Chick listen to him uh, for me. I, I think the jazz guys are really out of all of the modern musicians out there. They're the ones that kind of be really open to trying new flavors and bringing in new cultures and right. And Chick was just always that guy. Yeah. You know, like even when you listen to his, like anything he'd write, I'd be like, that doesn't even sound like something that I would normally, I'd expect a jazzer to play. What the hell is he doing? Right. Oh, well, I'm borrowing from this, you know, Spanish element over here. Oh, Chick, you're so cool. Yeah. You know, that's how I got into his music. Yeah. Chick's a beast. Spain is such an incredible. Oh, yeah. Track. Great track. Oh, my Great God. Track. Very difficult track, too. Yeah. In some, in some ways, right? And some phrasings that, that he plays is... It's really tricky, you know. That was a brutal one. To, we did that in school, and I mean, I was playing that over and over again for weeks, weeks and weeks, and I'm trying to bring it back if I ever have the time. But yeah, it's that's a cool track. It's it's really. Uh, I mean, he borrows that that beginning is the traditional. It's traditional Spanish tune. Yeah, it's called. I forgot what it's called, but. He borrows that intro, and then he makes up everything after that. But um, speaking of Spanish, there I, I, something else I sent you guys early in the week was um, "Ancient Voices of Children" by George Crumb. I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to that thing yet. Now, this is not so much. Well, he's an American composer. That's so the, vo- that, the vocalist. The vo- did you, yeah, did you hear? Did you listen to that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, what do you think of that? Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, this piece uh, was based on um, Lorca, the the Spanish poet Lorca, and the idea is that you know there are voices that we that carry us through our existence and, and such. And um, and George Crumb had this thing where he's like, I'm going to have the singer sing into the body of the piano. Huh. So if you watch that performance, like she's literally sticking her head, yeah, right in, in the body of the piano and singing into yeah. it. And it, <laughs> at first I was like, what in the world yeah. is going on? And then I figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think there, it's interesting that I, I think if we can take not even just the musical material of other cultures, but like even like even uh, in, in ideas from other cultures, you know, like the way they think um, is, is for me another important step in our musical development. Because, you know, I, I want to think of like what Chick does. I mean, he he doesn't just bring in rhythms. He, he brings in sort of like the ideas, the, the feels, the embodiments of, of other cultures and puts it into his music. You know, and I, I think that's another great way to expand. So if you can't necessarily play, you know, the the accenting that the tala does in or these talas in Indian classical music does, just just the thought process, bring the thought process into your work. Uh, that for me produces great stuff too. Yeah, it's interesting to see how some music's reggae has made its way. It's so normalized in our our culture. Um, it'd be nice to see see other things become as popular as reggae but i mean reggae i'm i don't know why i'm thinking about this but the there's a track chicken fried by zach brown band and they go into the they do the last chorus like with a reggae feel to it um yeah it's just i guess it's just one more example of melding the world musics with with american popular music in the middle of a country song yeah, I mean, obviously the number one reggae that comes to mind is Bob. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I remember even being young and hearing like, uh, what, Spirit of Radio with Rush and hearing that kind of oh, reggae, the, yeah. right? That reggae yeah. kind of feel that, that kind of sits in the middle of the section of, of Spirit of Radio. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be cool to hear a lot of those kind of influences whether it's you know a bossa nova or something like that where you would feel i mean uh bossa nova i'm kind of thinking of was it sade and uh sade yeah yeah that 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 kind of feel that came and that that was popular music um uh, what's the name of the song Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh uh sweetest taboo yeah that's it yeah yeah and that was popular music. That was, um, and that, and I would like to see more of that come into, because I think that time of, of, um, of music back in that was eighties. Um, that was that was early eighties. Yeah, mid eighties. And, yeah. and that that there was definitely an exploratory kind of thing going on in the mid early eighties, uh, with you know electronic music coming in, and people were just really free to cut because we were coming out of the 70s and disco at that point and at that point it was a breaking point that's where metal started coming out um you know before that it was very much like ozzy osbourne metal um and then it started breaking out into like thrash metal but then at the same time you had things like devo and you had cynthia (laughs) you had like this this it, it it just kind of and that's where like the pixies and it just started expanding from there in these weird kind of directions. Um, and people were open to trying a bunch of different things, almost like there was an anarchy within music. Yeah. Um, and now it's just kind of the formula, the formula, the formula, because it works formula, because it works formula, because it makes us money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be really cool to see an expansion of that and kind of see different ways of going into like a samba or a bossa nova or, you know, any kind of 
feels where you can kind of incorporate that into music would be very cool. Well, there is a metal band. So with that, you know, it that's, we're talking all about uh, sort of like the rhythms and the feels and this kind of thing. Um, there's a metal band out now uh, called Alien Weaponry. Have you ever got, heard of these guys? No. Oh, you need to check them out. Alien Weaponry. Okay. Now, I forget where they're from. I don't know if they're Brazilian or uh, I could be wrong in that. But their thing was that they sing everything in their native language. And it's in me- it's like death metal. Hmm. Okay. So what they're doing is they're trying to raise awareness of their 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 language in, in their culture um, and blending it with like death metal music. It's like really cool stuff, you know, and, and they're and they're getting really popular now. In fact, I even heard them on NPR. They played them for like an hour spot. Wow. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and, you know, so that, that's part of it is like when they put their lyrics together, um, they're trying to retain the language, but the sound of their language, you know, which is for them culturally significant and blending it with like metal rhythms. Right. Like, so for me, I think that that that's another just a whole other level of expansion. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see something like that happen. I just don't see it happening. It seemed and the reason, the reason that I say that is because English is such a wide and we were talking about this early in early in the week, uh, you and I, Tony, about how the world is more prone to learning something like English and it's less of a barrier because um, there's so many cultures out there that know the English language, English, yeah, English language. Um, that it just seems to be the way to go. I would love it if some people, I mean, even look at, uh, look at ABBA, you know, they never even spoke a word of English and yet they had a number one album. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. Or so, Cigarose, you know, right. The, yeah. right. So it, it would be awesome to see something like that catch on. I just, hmm. well, that's culture. That's, that's yeah. just, that's what it is. That's just all about. You know, when you get down to commercializing things and what the what the audiences in America want, you know, that's how, how it goes. But like even Joe mentioned a few weeks ago, in the underground, people are keeping that stuff going. You know, and that's, that's where where it's at is, is, you know, digging past all of the stuff we're hearing on the radio and in a way even turn our ears away from radio and going to shows. That's sad to me. I don't want to turn my ways, my ears. I want to go back to radio. So it's the popular thing. And I get it. I get it. Like the underground and people are keeping it alive, but I just wish it wasn't, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it was the complete opposite that you would go to radio or something like that, where you would hear all these wonderful things happening. And it's just not, that just disappoints me. That's all. No, with the technology we have today, though, I think that's the t- the tide may be moving that way, right? Maybe the answer is is when we think of radio um, as it's commercially given to us, maybe that we have to just sort of get rid of that and and embrace sort of the internet technology thing and and radio that way because that's more free and we get our our bandwidth is huge now on, yeah. on what we can what we can hear and what we can be exposed to. Yeah, or podcasts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like shows like us. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I think that that's going to become more of a thing. Uh, you know, um, and I even wrote a post on Facebook this week that car makers are now starting to incorporate podcasts into their car. Uh, wow. So in the future, you will have the us. option. Yeah, you will have us as an option on your in your car, and, hope, and hopefully, along with that, as podcasts expand more and more, because um, I think I just read that there's about two hundred and fifty thousand podcasts right now. Um, that 
more of those podcasts will be musically kind of inclined, you know, maybe playlists or you hear a certain type of, you tune into a certain type of podcast for a certain type of sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be very cool. Uh, um, maybe even one day on Fret, Bud, Fret Buzz podcast, we'll have our own music section. With What if like, uh, what if it got to the point where the future, like, like 50 or hundred years from now in the future, like, like culturally we started a revolution with this show. Maybe like you ever see Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah. Oh yeah. There I could like in the future. <laughs> they have statues erected to them. <laughs> you just never know guys. Yeah. yeah you never you know. know. You never know. Uh, yeah. And the listeners you'll be help. You'll be pioneers as well. That's right. We help get that show off the ground. That's exactly right. Well, yeah. What do we this think? Been fun. This has been a fun. Yeah, it was good. To explore. It's good. <clears throat> it's really good. So, um, so go out and listen to world stuff, people. Yeah, it's it's extremely important. Yeah. If you are, you know, if you are locked into one type of music, force yourself to try to listen to something else. Um, for me, when I was, you know, a young kid. It was whatever it was. It didn't matter. There was a type of music that you didn't necessarily listen to. Uh, force yourself to just kind of be exposed to different kinds of music. Uh, it's so important, not only for you as a musician, to just kind of take on new avenues and be able to speak with different people about different kinds of languages, but also kind of expanding your mind and being able to go back to your instrument and being able to you know, come up with new ideas. That's very important. And it helps you to understand and connect with different cultures around the world, just to be more ex- accepting as a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, it connects us all. It could, you know, music could be the path to a greater world peace. And well, it is the great communicator. It is absolutely. Look what Bob Marley. We were talking about Bob Marley. Look what he did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he created peace be- with music. That was yeah. an idea. He wanted it to like a virus to spread, and, mm-hmm. and it. And it really did. It was really successful. Yeah, it's so powerful. And, and you know, it is worldly. It is a world language. And the more that we educate our, ourselves on that, the better. Well said, man. Well said. Fret buzzards. All right. That's a good week. Yeah, absolutely. If you have, guys have any uh, um, music that you listen to or would suggest to others, by all means, comment down below. And uh, we're starting to get some reviews on iTunes. So by all means, drop on by. It helps us with our algorithm. Uh, so go to iTunes, give us a good review, and help others find the, the show. Correct. And play No Man's Sky. <laughs> Start digging. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's shaking his head. He just has no idea. He's like weeks away from starting this game. Uh, university I'm research team. I'm, I'm dedicating time to a game. Aaron and I will come down and we will give you the crash course. They could be going around the world collecting music samples of of Asian cultures playing. Yeah, they could be. Yeah, they could yeah, be. They're, they're, they're not. not. They're playing video games. Why? <laughs> because they can. They can. <laughs> All right, Jets. Have yourselves right. a good week. Yep. All Enjoy. Right. See ya. You breathe every single day. I don't know if you guys know this. Was that you just breathing right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs>